This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another show, for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series, our twice weekly show on a Tuesday and a Friday at 5 pm. Our Tuesday show is where I'm joined by a guest, and I'm very happy today to be joined by Clive from the Arsenal Vision podcast. How are you doing, mate? Are you well? I am fine. How are you? Yes, very good. I mean, a lot better than I thought I was going to be, say, 10 days ago, um, when it was all kind of, it felt like the world of football was falling apart in front of our eyes, but it has recovered itself uh, slightly, and there's suddenly new opportunities maybe opening up that we didn't previously ever imagine seeing, um, which we're going to come on to, uh, the legitimacy of it, the likelihood of all of this, and of course, look ahead to Thursday's pivotal match as well. Because although this has all been going on, the football's kind of taken a little bit of a backseat, I suppose, with, with the furore of the Super League and the ownership debate and everything like that. It is still important that we've got these games coming up and we are going to discuss them. But Clive, it's been a, it's been a kind of a stretch since we last spoke. And in between that, the Super League stuff has come about. I'm really curious to, to what you made of the whole fiasco and, and where you feel Arsenal have kind of come out the other side of this really dark tunnel that it could have been. Oh, crikey. That's a good first question. There you go. <laughs> a real easy one to go on with. I think... Um... Yeah, hey, look, the whole, the way the approach to the Super League was, was wrong, right? So you can look at it from many different angles, the club's angles, UEFA's angle, um, the the Premier League's angle, the FA's angle, and everybody reacts in their own way, and fans' angles. So I guess that's the that's interesting thing. And mm. I think from a fan's point of view, we saw something that was obviously going to affect our bread and butter, our every week football, because of the numbers involved and the lack of sporting merit. And none of us felt comfortable with that. We didn't feel comfortable with the lack of interaction. It was sort of thrust upon us in a in a very clandestine way, and that didn't feel good. Um, and then you then you allow yourself to be... If, if, I don't even think the messaging was very good. The marketing, the messaging, I don't think we even know what it really stood for. It was no. just like 12 clubs, unfinished, and basically it, was, it looked like a bit of a shambles, which... You know, I, I sort of think I like to feel, Tom, much like you, you like to feel like the people at your club are, are smarter than you. You know, smart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, especially when you're worth $8 billion, you'd like to think they're really, really smart. They might be one-eyed, they might be money-motivated, but they might be smart. So maybe they could hire people to help them launch something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it was so dumb. It was just so dumb. And they got what they deserved, a real slapping in front of the football world. Right? So um, and that's it, really. I mean, it's a, it's a deep topic, right, about how we react and what we do right now and how it's affected Arsenal. 
and how we've used it to reestablish our wonderful relationships with our owners. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think yeah, I'm sure you'll get onto some of that as we go along. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we knew that the relationship between ourselves, and I say that kind of collectively because it's become almost collective. I'd say it's, it was for me. I, there was kind of not. I was going to say glimmers then, but they're not really glimmers. They're patches of darkness, I suppose, um, yeah. in, in the fan base that were kind of support. Were still open, supporting of the the ownership, and I think that most of those have been kind of a bit snuffed out. Um, yeah. And it's basically ninety nine point nine percent. I feel of the of the supporter base are now very much united against this force which is nice to be a united as an arsenal fan base it's not something we can indulge in too often uh the kind of a, a unity between all of us um but we have united in this sense the protests obviously that went forth on friday was fantastic we had some we saw some amazing images yeah. um, from the people that were there and just the unity amongst the fan base and it was 99 of it was great um and now, weirdly from that, something happened that I'd really never kind of expected, which was, and I call it a light at the end of the tunnel, but it's a very kind of, for me, it's one of those tunnels in cartoons that gradually gets smaller towards the end and you find that you actually can't get out of it because the likelihood of this happening still, for me, knowing our ownership is still so, so small. But there was an interesting discussion, discussions being had on here, on other channels, and also with yourself on Twitter just moments ago um, regarding kind of what we even want from an owner. Like, what do we actually want to be different? Because I look at, obviously, the Man Cities of the world, the Chelsea's of the world that just pump money into football. And with FFP effectively being scrapped now, that's something that we could expect to happen more. We see clubs like PSG or Barcelona that are state-backed and can go in and buy the best players in the world, continuously put themselves into millions and millions of pounds worth of debt and stuff like this. And then we see other ownerships that are very vocal. I mean, the Leicester ownership as well have done really well with kind of the, the relationship with their fan base. And, and we look at other clubs as well that are kind of more fan run. You look towards Germany for that side of things. Yeah. What is it that you want from an Arsenal owner that's so different to what we already have? Okay, so let's step back a little bit. So now I've got my brain on from last week. <laughs> so like, um, I think... What annoyed me about this, forget about the sporting merit, because some of this was obviously not very good, right? But what annoyed me about the approach last week, Tom, was I, I'm a football man, right? And I spend a lot of my time analysing players like you do, tactics, looking at best value for players, squad building. And behind that, you feel, almost by default, that the club is trying hard to be a football club. And people have debated Cronky's involvement, whether they care or not. We've seen some changes in the last couple of years, which you can't deny is a bit more progress in the previous years when there was dual ownership. So I was trying to convince myself there was something there. But then when they dropped last week, you realise that actually this was the end game and you weren't really trying. You know, and, and I look back to all those football moments throughout the last five years or so, when a little bit more support to the football people in the club could have given us many more memories, better decisions, better contract decisions, better transfer decisions. And I felt they haven't tried. I felt they're happy being in the middle of the road. And that, to me, tells me that you're not really pri prioritising the sporting side of the club as the most important thing. And for me, the most important thing are the 25 players in the first team squad, the 20 players below them in the other 23 squad. Do you see what I mean? The most important yeah. thing 
is how we are as a football team and then how we behave as a football club and the values by which we live by. Now, for many fans of my sort of generation, and maybe some of the younger generation, I won't talk for I know you're in your 20s, Tom, so maybe you can talk for them. Mm. So, like, for my generation, it's the values, how we operate, how we behave, and the football. It's all part of it, right? So when you start to see that frayed, you start to question you question people, question people in authority, question people that own the keys to the castle. And I felt that was fractured last week. It was frayed. i am also been around the block a couple of times. I know that can be repaired. Relationships can be repaired with time. So I'm not going to climb myself to sleep every single night because things change really quickly. First time I cried about Arsenal was when Liam Brady left to go to Juventus. I mm. thought, that's it. We're done. Here I am. <laughs> it's later, right? Yeah. And so... um. And that was 1980, I think it was, when Mr. missed penalty against Valencia. That was it for me. I thought, this is it. I can't feel no more pain. And here I am all these years. So things do change, right? They do change. That broke something with me. That broke some trust, right? So, and so I saw what I was talking to FK on, on, on Twitter earlier on, and I thought, he sort of asked a really good question. What do fans want from their owner? And I know we've been talking a lot about fan involvement and and fan, you know, in decisions. Well, mate, come on, mate, you've got a channel based on fans to disagree about whether the sky is blue or the, the grass is green. No, we they don't. <laughs> <laughs> and and I'm involved in a podcast where we, everything I say will be debated, right? So let's let's not pretend that fans agree with every, with everything. We're not one voice. We've got many different reasons for supporting the club. Many different values. We don't all hold the same values. We don't all approach this club from the same angle. And so the whole thing about fan involvement, although I do think there needs to be something, is, is a debate. And so if I ask you, what do you want from an owner? You ask me, what do I want from an owner? And I was having this discussion. What I, what I, I sort of turned it around and said, what would I do if I was KSE right now? And I think that's really it. If I'm KSE right now and they're not, I assume I'm not going to sell, I would do some, I would do some simple things, but, First things first for me, what I want from an owner, I just want an owner that puts football first. I, just, I really want that. It's really important to me. I used to take the mickey out of Tottenham when when Irving Scholar was there and they were selling stuff online. It was nothing football related. And they lost it. They lost their way. And and I used to laugh at them, but we've lost our way. We've, we've lost our way. We've become an investment vehicle. We've not, we are not a football club that prioritises putting the best team on the pitch first. We are an investment vehicle that's chugging along. And while it's chugging along, it's increasing in value for our owner. And that's what we are. And that hit a lot of us in the face last week. And it's quite painful because we invest. We invest emotionally. We invest everything. We walk around. I don't know about you, mate, but I walk around and think about football all the bloody time. Every yeah. minute of my day, I, <laughs> I'm thinking about the game. I'm thinking about how other people are thinking about the game. I'm watching different channels, different Twitter. I'm watching YouTube. I'm watching everything to help build my sort of fan experience. And when you invest that much into your club, which is my choice, no one forcing me to do it, um, then you hope that the people in charge of the club recognise there are lots of people, tens of millions of people, that feel similar to me and you. And you have a responsibility. And I felt they lost that last week. I just want to pick up on the point you said about the generational sides of things, because speaking as a 20-something-year-old in that bracket, I feel like with my age bracket, obviously growing up, when you first 
really kind of cognitively really was able to take in football was in the noughties. So early to mid noughties where you've got the invincibles there. You see Arsenal at the height of their power in comparison to the Premier League rivals. But the gradually you get older and you get more kind of aware of what's just beyond the pitch and you go towards yeah. the ownership and towards everything else and tactics and management and finances and recruitment and sponsorship and commercial side of things and looking into who's the CEO and who's in charge of this part of the club. That's when we're in our in in the teens. And that's obviously when Cronky's really ingrained within things already. Um, and you've also got, in comparison, the other clubs like Cities and Chelsea's spending huge amounts of money and Arsenal aren't. And I think that there's obviously, for the, the 20 bracket, there's obviously a lot of resentment grown up um, being kind of the butt of the joke on the playground, in a sense, um, because of all the United's doing really well and dominating under Sir Alex Ferguson and, and Manchester City coming through and overtaking Arsenal and Spurs closing the gap competitively with us as well in the league and and all of the smart recruitment that other teams are doing whilst we're out here spending £35 million on Squadron Mustafi. Like this, that's where we've kind of got to. Yeah. And I think that a lot of... Us also, because of just the way the world is, that age bracket is very in tune with technology and social media and being very vocal about that. And uh, that's why I think, and I put a poll out about this last week, and I said that if you had the choice, the Cronkies are still here, but you have a choice with the kind of direction they take in the summer, you can ask them to invest and to put serious money in, or you can ask them to have a more open and honest dialogue with the fans in, and by that, I meant either fan representation on the board or understanding the vision of what the football and values of this club are and being more kind of direct and communicative with us so we understand and they understand in a synergetic way what we both want and what we want for the team. And you would not be surprised to know that over 80% of people wanted them to invest and wanted yeah. them to spend. And that is very what I feel is very attached to my age bracket, my generation and younger that are just desperate for us to buy the big, big players. And I think that helps. Trust me, I, I'd love us to. I want that to happen. I want us to compete financially. But as I feel like what you were saying there, it's more important that football comes first and that we get an identity back and we get that communication going with the fan base, that there is a synergetic link between us and our owners, that we have the same aligned vision of what we want going forward. And I don't feel that we'll have that under this ownership. And I also feel like we just need a bit of a break and a change and a breath of fresh air at the same time. <laughs> that would be nice. So let me give you a couple of examples, right? So a few years ago, we were quite close to getting Eden Hazard, right? We was between us and Chelsea, quite close, yeah. 30, 33 million quid. He went to Chelsea. That was a real indicator for me. I remember when Ashley Cole went to Chelsea. What they're telling you is that the ambition of your club isn't quite the ambition of this club. Now, we know that club was funded by money. That was a bit scurrilous, for example. <laughs> but it's a message. It's a message, right? Now, we got young players. To, let's give a couple of young players that are out there at the moment. Jaden Sancho and Erling Haaland. Does anyone think they're coming to our club even close? No. Let's fix that first. Let's fix that first. It's not about buying players. It's about buying players that having your club in a situation that actually we think we can get that player before they go to Real Madrid. That's where we mm. used to be. We used to be a stepping stone for Real Madrid and Barcelona. You go to Arsenal, could they play one for football, great stature, great club, recently, always challenge, 
what he's doing in Champions League, we can be that last stepping stone before we go to that super elite top five club, right? So, and we was always a top eight club. Now we're a top 14 club, right? Do you see what I mean? And so let's fix that. And to do that, you have to be run well. You have oh. to have aligned goals from the top. Whether you like where money has come from, I want to look at a club and say, what are they trying to do? What are we trying to do, Tom, at the moment? What are we trying to do? We've got youngest manager in the league, more or less, apart from yeah. Ryan Mason the other day. We've got youngest executives in the league, right? And we're trying to put all the pressure on those three guys, those three young guys, Imerta, Sako, Edu, and Arteta, to rebuild this club, right? And we're in a project. None of the fans, not all the fans accept we're in a project. They just look backwards in the old days and say, why are we challenging? These are the worst results in the history of mankind. Yeah. We've lost 13 games this season. We, you know the numbers. Yeah. So that's where we are. So what do we stand for? What do we stand for in the short to medium term? Was it we, we just jungle along with some cheap management so we can go into the Super League and, and take a shortcut to the to the senior level? That's what that's the sort of trust you've got to rebuild. So how do you do that? The way you do that for me, you've gotta bring people the board for me needs to be re re energized completely. I don't think we've got a chairman at the moment, do we? No. No, he retired last season. So we don't have a chairman. We don't have any leadership. We don't have any anybody that anyone can link identity to. So we go straight to the guy at the top, Stan, who we've hardly heard his voice. He hasn't even yeah. got his own hair, for God's sake. We haven't heard his voice. We haven't, <laughs> we've got a situation where he's, his nickname is Silent Stan, or his last nickname was the most hated man in Missouri for moving the football team around. We are talking about somebody that's utterly ruthless and does not care about its people. So the first thing you've got to do if you've got to create a you got to create a stronger link. I'm not sure his son is it. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. we need we need people there we can align to, align decisioning to, align some values to. So I'm not one of these middle-aged guys, right? The ones go back to the old days. I look forward. I look forward all the time, updating my football knowledge. I'm not looking back to the David Dean days and all the rest of it because he put 332 grand in the club and he's sitting on 80 mil now. Right, so and we know. So let's not pretend that everybody's blameless in this because they're not. Right, so yeah. but we need to create a bridge. We need to create a bridge because at the moment we look like we have a massive void, and that's been re-established that thought process in my mind by the fact we can even arrive in this place where we did last week with the ESL. That brings me to another point, and this is something that's annoying me. It's something that I've spoken about in podcasts before. I'm not sure. I hope I get the words out correctly. We have an anxiety around our status. We're, we're not quite prepared to push the boat out to deliver on the pitch. So what we do, we do stupid things like re-sign up players that are aged, like buy a William, because it makes us feel good, right? It makes us feel good. Bring a William in, overpay. Why are we overpaying for underperformance? And what happens, Tom, is that gets around the game. And everyone knows there's money at Arsenal, mate. Get yourself down there. They'll give you a free year. There's money there. You don't have to win. You're not on the same pressure you are at Chelsea or City yeah. or United. You don't have to win. It's a lovely place. It's in Highgate and Hampstead. You can knock yourself up in one of those and collect your money. right? And we've become that club. And, and, I, and we've got to change that. We've got to completely change our recruitment strategy. I don't care what direction, whether it's young or we're just going to rebuild. I don't care, but I want our identity to be clear so we can all hook onto it. 
I don't want this. We're going young here, but we're getting David Louise and William over here. Do you see what I mean? And we're just loading up our wage bill. We're not, we're not changing our lead position because we're not consistent. I'll hold my hand up and say that I'm seeing some forms of change in that. If I just if I remove KSE from my thinking and just focus on Edu Arteta and, and Mertzaka. And the last two windows, the last year and a half or so, I'm seeing something, apart from William, something <laughs> that Runners. tells me they know. <laughs> they, yeah, okay. You're always going to get ones and twos, right? As long as it doesn't yeah, cost yeah. you 35 mil. That's where we were before, right? So, so I'm seeing signs of they know what they're doing. Yeah. But we all know what's coming up, mate, don't we? The summer will tell us a lot. It yeah. will tell us a lot. It, said, it will tell us if last summer is just an anomaly for us, if it's a case of, it's, it, I, I suppose, a, a dip in kind of our, our struggle that we've been going uphill for so long, trying to clamber up to where we want to be. And we've had a nice downhill in, in last summer where we bought yeah. two players in two key positions that we've desperately needed. And they're the players that we invested in and we put a lot of money in. The players that we didn't, Willian and Runnison, obviously, they were just surplus. They were depth for us, really. I mean, it's annoying that Willian became more than depth. And I think that basically yeah. came as an Arteta trying to justify his being here uh, more so than actually it being a smart side, um, especially considering his performances. But you're 100% right in that this summer completely tells me everything I need to know about where the club's going because I've supported the manager through times where people have jumped off the boat and I have absolutely no criticism for jumping off the boat because I think that some of the performances and the decisions that have been made are completely justified for someone that wants to go, no, this isn't for me. But what yeah. I would say, and, and I echo of what you said there in saying that my reasoning for staying on, on, on the ship is that I want to see if what I saw last summer is going to continue. And I feel like, and it seems like a really obvious thing to say that this coach would do better with better players. But the difference is, is that it's it's him getting those players in. He's the one identifying last summer what we needed and getting them. He's unlucky this season. I feel like a lot of fronts with decisions, with injuries to key players, including Partey. And that next season, if we can add that quality, if we can add to kind of the core, and, and the core is those two players in Gabriel and Partey, but also in other players that have been brought in under his tenure. I like Marie a lot. I think he's someone that was a really like astute piece of business, a really shrewd signing. But I like what's gone before in some of the players in Kieran Tierney, and that was done whilst Edu was not fully integrated. It was done under Edu. Martinelli was brought under Edu. He wasn't signed by him, but he was brought in under him. And that shows the growth that shows the the trend of in the market for me there's still mistakes that we need to iron out like Willian that we've mentioned but we can show the upward trajectory at Arsenal I feel under this group but that's purely theory until it's put into practice this upcoming summer what yeah. we will talk about obviously Thursday and I think that you want to jump in do you want to jump in quickly on something yeah yeah I think um you mentioned why you're still on board with um Arteta and I think personally what what last week showed me was I asked myself the question, who do I trust in the club? Mm. Whose motivations do I trust? So all the people around at the moment, I'm looking around at Arteta and, and Edu and, and Merzak, and I, and I think I know why they're here. I think they're here to absolutely do their absolute best to get us a better football players on the pitch. I truly believe that. They make mistakes, like anybody else, and we can't say he's not made a few mistakes. Every manager makes mistakes, but I absolutely trust their motivations. 
what I found out last week that I no longer trust the motivations of the of the executives. Do you see what I mean? Because how could I? Mm, yeah. So it, nobody was saying anything about Arteta until the game on Friday night or last week. What we cared about was our ownership and yeah. our direction. Right. So it goes to show you what's really important. What's really important is from the top down, single message, common goals, all the rest of it. That's what's really important. And that's what we need to reestablish. Another reason why, apart from what you outlined about Arteta and the transfer market, I mean, I think he's he's on the right track, but I will, that'll be confirmed in the summer. But I can't I think we're we're forgetting something. And it's not an excuse, but I felt on Friday night, I said this yesterday on the podcast, that we the fans were really, really missed. They were really, really missed. And I don't think we understand what it must be like to win the FA Cup in an empty stadium. So you have your glory moment and no one's there to connect to. So we've had no direct connection to these to these good moments, beating Man United, beating City, beating Chelsea. We haven't felt it. We haven't, you know, we haven't got close. And even if you're a global fan, you haven't looked at your screen and seen all of us legacy fans <laughs> in, in, in the stadium yeah. excited. That's what makes the moment. That, that makes you a fan, isn't it? When you see a good moment and you see other fans enjoying themselves and then you enjoy it a little bit more. So what we have got is our laptops and our iPads, right? And that's what we've got. And we are absolutely analysing this to death because that's what we have at the moment. This is it's the way we can engage. I feel for this guy. I think he had like two to three months of having crowds in. Yeah. Then three to four months of managing his team by Zoom. Then winning the FA Cup, no one cared because no one was there. <laughs> <laughs> so like, and then... And then started the season badly. And now we're on the, we're we're sort of in this middling place, about to come to a huge game on Thursday night. His situation has not been normal. None of our situations have been normal. Our adapt our adapting to what we're seeing. We're judging the team by structures and performance variables are just not there. We're not losing, we're not drawing to Fulham at home with a full crowd there, Tom. You know that. Yeah. We're not we're not losing to Burnley with no shots on target, with a full crowd there. There have been some anomalies that just would not exist. And I can hear people saying, what about the other teams, Clive? Well, the yeah. other teams not much that was better. what I was going to say to you, but is it but, is it not the same playing field for everyone else then? It's the same playing field, but they're not much better. They're not 15, 20. You know, all the teams, the fine margins of the teams around us, you know, like West Ham, Everton, Villa, all the teams, it's like five, six points amongst it. Two games, right? And it's just like, it's not much difference in it. We've had a few absolutely criminal individual mistakes that yeah. have cost us gains. I'm not saying we're brilliant, but I'm just saying it's a unique time in our football watching lives. This will never happen again, Touchwood. This will never happen again where we're literally not able to be anywhere near the football players or the football team. There must be situations that develop on a pitch that take too long to change because you're not getting the feedback, you're not... You're not getting those extra variables coming into the pressure variables. This is a very sanitized form of the game that we're watching. And I did feel on Friday night in particular, with all the fans outside, helicopters flying overhead, how the players must have felt in that environment, thinking, I can hear the fans, but they're not yeah. here. Do you see what I mean? It must have been a really strange one. But that's just my view. And um, I just think, regardless of the stupidity on and off the pitch sometimes, I do feel for Arteta to have to manage in his first job in an environment where it's completely clinical. 
and I'm just I'm praying that obviously the world gets back to normal. We're seeing like it will do. We're seeing that maybe we saw it in the, the League Cup final. Fans were able to be there in a, in a limited capacity, but they were still there, and it had it had an impact. I didn't yeah. think it was the best game in the world. Don't get me wrong, but just their voices being there for sure um, made it made a difference. Um, thank you, Janice, in the chat for the for the super chat. It says fundamentally, KSC has failed the club. Uh, a club of such prestige needs to be in contention for titles. Big investment is a necessity, absolute must. Now, I think that actually links into what we were saying earlier about kind of the the desperation for us to invest and link thinking back to the level that where we were previously. Um, last kind of point before we go and look ahead to, to Thursday is is kind of on the direction that you want to see us take in the summer because. I, I, I've gone on basically a roller coaster of views around what we need to do. One kind of one month, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, right, I think we need to sign players that are going to have an immediate impact next season that are going to get us to where we need to be. And so there you're looking at players between 25 and 27 that are just approaching or nearing their prime so they can make that impact straight away. But then I saw in January Martin Erdegaard come in, a 22 year old and have an immediate impact and really look like a difference maker for us because he joined us in a key position that added quality into a key position that we were lacking in. So do you approach that summer? I'm not asking for specific names. I'm just kind of saying, do you approach this summer if you're Arteta and Edu and you're planning and they say the planning's done, but do you approach this summer to improve upon in a specific style of player or just specifically targeting positions that are in desperate need of attention? Uh, <clears throat> I think you have to look at it from the landscape. So you, there's a core, which you mentioned some of them earlier, right? So there's a core of players. Some of them are quite young. So you've got Smith Rowe, Saka, Martinelli, you know, Gabriel Tierney. These are these are quite young men still, right? You know, all 22, 23 and under. I'm sure there's more that I've missed there already. <laughs> and so and we, we just signed Balogun, you know, and there's, there's a core of very talented young players. Then we have these middle range, and the middle ranges are not really where they should be for me. You know, so if I'm looking at the team, I'm saying, okay, I've got a young core, and but I need to put in some 23s upward to 26-year-olds yeah. into this group because you need to build your tent with a couple of long poles in it. Do you see what I mean? And when we bought party, I'm thinking long pole in the tent, spinal player, just what we need. We expected Aubameyang to be another one. He hasn't really been here this year. So that's a blow. That is a variable that we didn't expect. We expected 10 more goals from him. With those 10 more goals, I think we're fine. You know, so, but hey, it is what it is. That happened and it's been an issue for both party and Aubameyang. I feel we've really missed their presence consistently over the season. And if we had them, I think it's a different story. But that's where we are. So I think we need to think about these stronger players. I, I have a... A thing at the moment, and I'm not. I think technically, before Christmas, you said to me, "What do you need to add, Clive?" I say, "A bit of creativity." Mm. But now we've seen the emergence of Smith Rowe, Odegaard, Saka's growing, Pepe's improvement. I'm not saying that anymore. When I look at the team. I look at. I look at us physically. Actually, I look at us physically and say, "We're not strong enough in certain positions. We're not fast enough where we need to be. We don't. We don't scare people. There's not enough devastation in in forward areas, and it's not enough." one-on-one -on -one ability at, at, at one full-back position, right-side position, and maybe right-set, <laughs> and maybe right-centre-half. And that right defensive channel, we need more. We need more strength. We need more speed. We need something that says, you're not coming in here, right? So we need someone else in centre midfield 
that says the same thing, but I'm going to take it off you and carry. I think, Tom, I'm not sure if you, uh, some of our tackling stats are really, really low. We don't take the ball off people. Our dual numbers are not great. Football such an organised game now. How can you create transitions? You create transitions by taking the ball off people. You know, literally doing that. Or, or holding the ball under pressure. So when you get pressed, when you get overloaded and pressed, you can get out of it and then you've got overload somewhere else. We need people that can play through people. We need people that can stop people early and then go back into them. Some of that's coaching. Some of that's player ability. I'll give so. I discussed this with Tim the other day on the podcast. We were talking about, you know, we found the game quite boring the other day and and we don't create waves of attack like Man City do. So how mm. do Man City create waves of attack? When that ball leaves the up the, the upper third, that first challenge, they win it. They smash you. They smash you. They win it. They press you aggressively for five seconds. Jamie Carrick did a great analysis on the Spurs game at the weekend how City got around the ball, Kyle. when they did go long, they won the first ball and they create the waves of attack quickly. They exhaust teams that create chances. We need to develop that. At the moment, we're a nice team that plays good build-up, but we struggle to create waves of attack. We struggle to hold on to games for 90 minutes. We still throw away halves of games. We fade. Some of our best players, they fade during games. They don't stay in games long enough. So I'll be looking to add a lot more intensity, physicality, to add to our technical ability. So when you're looking at players now, can we up the pace by which we play? Can we be more aggressive on the press and, the tr- and make sure we can counter press so we can create broken field play? Because we are at our best when the game is broken. So when we slaughtered Slavia, although we were a bit, I was a bit worried before the game. <laughs> when we slaughtered Slavia, how was it done? It was done by waves of attack, counter transitions really quick through the pitch in on goal. A lot of our best days have come away from home. At home, people sit in, low block us, and we have struggled with that for two, three years, and maybe longer. So that's why we look listless at home, because we we are not very good when a team sits off us. You know, so mm-hmm. Leicester at home, great example. Didn't even play a striker for the first 70 minutes. Just let us have it, see what you can do. We couldn't quite break them down. They bring a striker on and nick our lunch money, get, get away for 1-0 win. Right, so teams are telling us who we are. They're telling us what we are not good at. So when people are moaning about our home performance, trust me, I'm there, but I've looked at it and I'm telling you why. We need the ability to create transitions, to take the ball off people. And when people say, no, we can give you wide areas, we need to have a strategy that can play in a crowded box, either aerially or with sharp movement. That's what we need to do to develop this team because we are lacking in goals mm. significantly. And I think that's what we need to focus on. It's you sum it up perfectly because we just the the athleticism is a word that Yonick in the chat used. That, that's something that we're lacking is is just that consistent press and energy that I I watch teams as you say know exactly how to play against us because we don't offer anything different. There's no dynamism at times in our team and that we just lack that. It's just we lack idea and we lack invention and, and we lack something different. I think a lot of that's come down to some poor form from our senior players and the reliance on a lot of our young players to step up and, and be the guys that are going to smash other oppositions. 
games, but they can't do that 38 games through the season. You can't expect them to do that, no matter even if you fill the team with 11, 18 to 20-year-olds. It's still not going to happen because the other teams have got more experience and they know how to deal with these situations and then they can just easily defend against it and hit you. So, yeah, hopefully, in the summer, we had those players. Go on. Let me ask you a question, Tom, right, for once. Right? <laughs> like, um, <laughs> what would you do with Odegaard? We can't sign him, mate. We can't sign him. Unless you mean this season and what we're going to do for the rest of the season. No, sorry, next season. Would you Would you get him back in? I don't you... think it's possible. If it was my choice, I I would do. I would. It depends because there are other options. Okay, like I love Emmy Buendia. Like I think that he would be a wonderful player. I'm not a big fan of the links to Julian Brandt, for instance. No, I'm I'm not as interested in that. I would like to see us go for someone in house, and what I mean by that is that's played the English game and someone that knows the English game a bit. And Emmy Buendia has that. I like players that are not within our grasp, like a Jack Grealish or a James Madison. Yeah. I love these types. But I don't think as you, it's a weird circle of life that we've done on this show where the first things you were saying is we need to change the way that we're perceived as a club and our perception. Because one day we could have been a club. We could have been a club right now that was vying for Jack Grealish or going to yeah. be able to take... I mean, but why would James Madison look at Arsenal at Leicester right now and go, I'm not going to go there. It's a step down for yeah. me right now. But So the reason why I asked about Odegaard is, is mm. actually... I hope your sort of viewers can can get this, right? Because I've... I, Firm, I've I've played this comp of Odegaard at West Ham. There's a there's a five minute comp out there. That's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. I've watched it about four thousand times. Right, so <laughs> it is un- <laughs> it is unbelievable. Right, so um, I love that game. I love what we did against a low block. We were brilliant for that one hour, whichever it was. I just mm. loved that game so much. Then I ask myself what I'm saying to you about: we need to improve our presence, our devastation, our speed. And I ask myself, am I going, am I falling into the trap of the Urzel Odegaard trap? That nice player that doesn't quite move with the devastation that I want. Do, do you see what I mean? I think Odegaard yeah. I could be being a bit harsh, but I'm conscious as fans that we've grown up with these number ten types, these Seth type, Nazri types, Kleb types, and you know, people of your generation definitely have. And then when we see them again, we want them again. Well, actually, mm. they're getting blown off the pitch. We're getting blown off the pitch. We don't shoot enough. We don't run past people enough. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. we don't. If we don't change, we're gonna get more of the same. Because I, if you said to me right now, forty million for Brendia, forty million for Odegaard, that's a real debate. One's from from Real Madrid, one's from Norwich. Now I've seen the Norwich guy. He's quick. He's two footed. He can run past you. I've, I've watched him. I don't know if he could. If he's a forty million pound player, probably a bit heavy. Yeah. But we're quick to go to Real Madrid's back door. Do you see what I'm saying? We're quick mm-hmm. to go to their back door. Best image. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, and it's the same with Sabayas. Sabayas is doing his thing. He can't yeah. run. He can't shoot. Doesn't score. We've got Joe Willock up the road, mm-hmm. scoring goals. I'm asking myself, we, we criticise these players for a little dodgy pass here and there. But actually, come on. Think about what's actually happening here. Joe Willett's probably looking at it thinking, why am I not playing? That bloke's playing. And some yeah. people say, oh, Sabahis has been really great. Well, I don't think so. I don't think no. so. That's not enough. That's not going to create ways of attack. That's not going to stop people running through our middle. If we want to get better, we have to accept where we need to upgrade and how we need to do it. And buying Sabahis's ain't it for me. Yeah. That's not going to move the dial. No, it's... 
and the brand falls into that that kind of Absolutely. category for me as well. And I just I I love what Buendia adds because he's an unknown variable for me. Like he adds something different in a team. And I, I know what you were saying about it's, it's a good debate about Erdogan for 40 or, or Buendia for 40. Um, I want us to stop signing players that are a project in themselves. I want us to sign a player that's on the up, that's a player that's going to grab the team by the scruff of the neck and go forward. That's why I wasn't really a big fan of Alwar in, in the summer. And from speaking to a lot of French experts like Jeremy Smith, he tells me But when Leon drop and when they play poorly, he's not the type to carry the team. He's not going to give you an Odegaard in West, against West Ham type of performance. He's special. someone... Yeah, it was special. Mm -hmm. um, Awar will drop with the rest, and I'm not interested in someone like that. I want a protagonist in the team. I want a Thomas yeah. Partey in, in another role, in another style. And it's yeah. funny you say about people being overcritical of kind of the little mistakes that players make. And I think people have been so overcritical of Partey's passing. Like, I get that he's made a few misplaced passes, but because he's trying to do something bloody different, trying to play people in behind. He sees the passes from a deeper position that other players just don't. And we don't have yeah. the movement to, at the moment, because we don't have the players around him to really kind of help it. And he got people criticising him left, right and centre for his passing. And it yeah. just bugs me to death. Um, yeah, yeah he, he plays with courage, right? And courage yeah. doesn't always work out. And again, I go to Jamie Carragher and Anthony's the Spurs and he highlighted the lack of courage in their midfield. And when you've got people that can see, when we see Onyeni turn away from forward pass, we all go mad, don't we? We all go mad. And so what? Let's, let's encourage the people that play with courage. Let's not shout it out of them. You know, let's not criticise it out of them because mm. I want to see, if there's a line to break, let's break it because that's where the action is. These teams are organised now. They've all got quick defenders. They've all analysed us. You've got to have the courage to play and the ability to play forward. You've got to encourage that. Without that, we're just watching horseshoe football, which none of us are going to enjoy watching. So, hey, look, people are entitled to their opinions on certain players. I don't think Tom's part is the issue. The only issue he has for me is that he, in fact, he got injured, right? Yeah. So, um, And probably he's trying a bit too hard to justify his price tag. That's probably my one issue with him. He's trying too much. But I said to the guys this week, I said, when he's athletic, he wasn't playing with Eddie and Kay at centre forward. No, you know, no, he no. playing with players of a different calibre, I'm afraid. And he maybe didn't feel he had to shoot from a million miles out because there's no one ahead of him with any seniority. And that's what he was. I know it's only one game. And when Aubameyang's there and Odegaard's there, he looks a much better player. But um, I agree with you 100%. Um, just before we uh, go on to talking about Thursday, a massive shout out, of course, to uh, Football Prizes, this week's prize. is pretty cool, actually. It's, uh, uh, it's a prize which is looking at specifically uh, a favourite of many people, which is Carnu. Um, and you also get the opportunity to win £50 worth of uh, the vouchers uh, to buy more tickets for, for other competitions. So there's only about half the tickets have been sold so far, and they're only three ninety five. So make sure you go grab one. We'll be revealing on Friday which one of our members has uh, won that um, so there you go links in the description go and get a ticket before it runs out um, so Thursday Clive obviously it's a huge huge game we've talked a lot about the future and what we want to change but Arteta's got to deal with what he's got right now uh, to mm. tackle Thursday yesterday I had a really good discussion with Alvaro Romeo uh, about um, Villarreal and Unai Emery and he yeah. basically turned around and said that if you press Villarreal if you 
if you're quick, which is all the things that we want Arsenal to be and have been running about them not having right now, he says, if you press them and if you get at them, they are they can be faulted. And he expects yeah. Arsenal to win across the two legs. He says that he feels like you, you'll struggle to come away with a win in Spain, but he thinks at the Emirates, there'll be enough for Arsenal to take victory across the two legs. But he says, if you give players like Chuck Wazy on the right-hand side space and time to do what they do, and if we play Xhaka against him, say, on that side, he will run right. And he says, if you give either of Paco Alcázar or Gerard Moreno up top an inch of space in the box, they'll take it and score. But they have got issues. They can be hit on the break, even though Unai Emery's improved that this season. They can be hit on the break very easily. So yeah. I feel like, because if you watch, I mean, I know you watch, but if, if you look back to the Slavia Prague game, they had more possession than us in that game. But we were yeah. so lethal and clinical on the ball. I feel like if we play that game that we did over uh, over in, in the Czech Republic, like we do, and we play that game in Spain, I feel like we'll win. But he's got some big decisions to make with regards to his team selection. And some people would turn around and say right now that Granit Xhaka should not be playing at left-back against Villarreal. Yeah. What are the team selection choices for you? And what's the big kind of questions around Arteta for this game? Yes, yeah, so I, I looked at them. Well, I've only looked at one little bit game. I'm going to do some more sort of studying. I'm ready for mm-hmm. a later podcast this week. But they played Barcelona this weekend. They played like a 4-4-2. Is that right? I think they played a 4-4-2 with yeah, two strikers. Yeah. Whenever I see a team play 4-4-2, what they're trying to do, they're trying to normally, they, they not say hit two strikers, but they, they want the comfort of having two strikers close together. So they want to get the ball up to them quite quickly. So that tells me straight away, they want to play in certain areas, right? So away from their goal. And I think we should, you know, do exactly what we do. Well, I think we're quite good away from home for some reason this mm-hmm. season. I think we the, the Slava game is a great blueprint. It's to take the ball off them and play through them quickly. And I think that, that's really that's really key. I've had this little thing in my head for a while now. I actually think I think Gabriel should play left back. Uh, yeah. I've been saying it for a long time, and the reasons why we tend to play almost like a, a, a three three four, right? So that's what we're really doing as we're building up. So we're playing in a back three. So Gabriel basically is playing left centre half. That's what we're asking Shaka to do. But what's happening in, in centre mid is we're not winning enough collisions. So just move Shaka back into midfield, have like Chambers to the right and part in the middle and give him a bit more comfort around him. Have your three behind and build up. But you engage higher up the pitch, a line up, you engage much better. So party for all his dodgy passes at the weekend, he had like 12 ball recoveries. We're asking too much. He's going to get booked. He did get booked at the weekend. He's making lots of recoveries. I just like to see Shaka in there with him making sure we're engaging higher and playing to our front four diamond, whatever shape is going to be. I think we need to do that. I think if Pepe plays left, Shaka is really good at finding him really quickly with pace, which gives him time to get his shake and bakes on. So I would like to see that happen. But I seem to be the only person saying that. when I'm, <laughs> I look around and no one else is saying that. I'm thinking, this is obvious to me. Why don't we just do it? Because yeah. straight away you take away Chukwesi's because Gabriel's quick enough. He gets mm. tight, doesn't let anyone turn around. Some people say he's rash. Well, he can be rash on the outside of our pitch. No one cares. Be yeah. rash by the touchline, right? But make sure you're super tight and you knock him about. People are quick to criticise him. I keep thinking back to Harry Kane, who's still in his pocket from the game North London Derby. <laughs> and I've not seen anyone dominate him like that until the weekend, funny enough, <laughs> with, uh, with yeah. Diaz and the Port. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think he did superbly well against him because he's so strong. I would have him on the outside, on the left-hand side, and I'd move up. 
Uh, Shaka into midfield, and I'll develop from there. And that's what I would do, mate, to be honest. And I, I hope it happens, but I'm not convinced it will. Do you fear Emery? Like, are you fearful of his insight in what he knows about the club? Or do you think we've, even though we don't look progressively in terms of the league table, do you think we've changed enough that we'll be able to stump what he knows about us? I think um, I I wasn't one of those people that really slaughtered Emery until mm. it became obvious that the I players... Was. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I probably... We should have made a decision after Baku, really. Mm. And it should have been a simple decision. Okay, we've messed up this final. We've messed up the run into the end of the league. Missed out on Champions League by one point. Let's have a discussion with some senior people in the club and see what's actually happening here. But we carried it on. And that was the issue for me. And and it became obvious with various leaks out of the dressing room that there was, there was a bad situation developing. And people lost faith, particularly after Baku, probably, because mm. you take someone's rubbish for a long time, as long as he leads you to the promised land. If you don't reach the promised land, well, I'm not having him no more. And that's what seemed to happen, right? And players were taking advantage of that situation, and they did, and he ended up going. So, but I thought as a coach, he was fine. He was a little bit negative on occasions, and I thought he was fine. He was in the wrong place for me. I didn't know enough about him when he yeah. came. I just felt he was in the wrong place for too long. It was just the wrong appointment. So I don't think he's bad, all bad, although all my podcast colleagues think he's, he is the bad man. But <laughs> I don't think he's bad. I think maybe people around him like Raul are, are worse, right? So um, oh, I agree with you there. <laughs> so, so I'm not worried about him. I think for some, my issue with him was, I think he he tries too hard. I think he studies us too much. And because of that, he'll give us too much respect. And I think we need to be really smart. We need to really take this game on this game, the Thursday game, because the away smash game, the away goals, yeah. just smash the away goals. Exactly it. Because we are nervous at home. Mm. You know, I'm nervous watching them. Right. So we, <laughs> yeah. we have to get it right this week. And the worry is the last two games, everything's gone wrong for us, you know? Yeah. And so we're not bringing any sort of momentum into the game. So I'm a bit worried about that, but we really have to be efficient. Um, when I say that, we need to be efficient offensively. Let's talk about that, shall we? So we've got a young kid called Saka, mm. right? He's he's brilliant, but super goal scorer, not quite there yet. We've got a Bamriang who's recovering from malaria. We're not sure he's going to be available. Talk about luck this season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've got Lacazette who's got a hamstring, right? And uh, we've got Smithrow, who's a bright player, not a goal scorer yet, will be one day. We've got Pepe, Bright player in Europe, seems to do well in Europe. We're relying on him a lot. Some people don't want him in their team, right? Mm. And we've got Martelli, a young kid who scored one goal this season so far. There isn't a lot of there's a lot of talent, a yeah. lot of talent. There isn't a lot of certainty. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so we're asking these players to really turn up, really turn up and do something. And um we got nothing else, mate. They hold our dreams. They hold they our dreams, and it's it's a real risk. It's a real risk. So to round off the show, I'm going to be really mean and ask you for not only a score prediction, but your desired lineup um, for the game. Oh, okay. Considering obviously, Abamyang is in training. He looks like he's going to get there. There was a really interesting report that's come out that David Luiz has returned to training much sooner as well than expected. Uh, so whether or not he's available, I think if he is available. I'd start him over holding because I think he's yeah. been our best centre back this season, arguably. So, to what 
Prediction okay. and, and, and a lineup I want from you. See, that's changed things in my mind, Dave, because I agree with you about mm. David Louise. This is this is a huge game for the club, right? So there's no messing here. You, you, you play your men. You, you, you play your men. So on that basis, and I would probably just about go with Leno. I'd only just about go with Oh, see, I don't. I'm going yeah, with mine. So. I, I, mate, I, I wouldn't say you're wrong because, mm. I, you know, Leno doesn't want it at the moment, it looks like to me. You get to that situation as a goalkeeper where you think everything's going to go through you. So I don't mind whichever way that goes, but my brain says go with Leno. Um, I'll go with Chambers. I will go with Louise. I'd probably go Mary, even though I've seen Mary and Louise play together and it wasn't great. I think they both want to lead and no one wants to defer to each other. I think yeah. Mary's got leadership potential about him and I just didn't think it's a good mixture. But I want Gabriel to play left back. So, you know, I could easily see a, um, a Marie... Sorry, I can easily see Louise and Gabriel play together because I think they are excellent together. Much that right. holding is better with uh, Marie next to him. But I'm going to stick to my earlier thought process. Louise, Marie, Gabriel at the back there. I'd have Shaka and Party in front. I'd have Pepe left. I'd have Saka right. And I would probably start. I probably, I don't. I'd have a Bangang centre forward because I think he's going to be ready. Mm-hmm. And I would probably start. Throw in behind, but again, I'm I don't really mind five sides 50 50. Odegaard comes on end the game, yeah. but I'm not sure on that one. I'm not 100% sure because Odegaard has been injured. But when he plays, I think he's got the seniority, I think he leads yeah. technically, and I think you know, I think he could easily start this game. See, I go with both of them if they're both fit. I like mm. Emil Smith Rowe and Odegaard playing together. I yeah. also think those two playing together increases your chance creation. And if Abamyang's playing as the central yeah. striker, I think that works as a balance really well. And then I'd personally put Pepe right and I'm moving Saka to, to left back for me. Yeah, okay. Um I play if David Luiz is player, I play I play Gabriel and Luis together at the back. If David yep. Luiz is not fit, I'm playing Holding and, and Marie together at the back. It it is a dependent on, on who is fit because I just think that holding and Gabriel as a pairing just does not work. It just doesn't seem to no, click. Communication's work. not there. Chambers stays at right back because he's I think he's been inspired since he's come back. Yep. I've been really impressed by him. Um and Ryan, I, I I do go with Ryan. I take Leno's mental stress that he must be under right now, just out of the equation. I bring in a keeper in Ryan that's desperate to prove himself, desperate to earn a contract for next season. And I think he's actually a better distributor of the ball than yeah. Leno is as well. So I'd, I'd probably go there and Partey and Xhaka, of course. Yeah, I, I like that team. I Seriously, I do. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't, I think, again, Saka would be playing left back, but he wouldn't be playing left back, if you don't mean. Do you know what I mean? He'd be playing higher up and, and Xhaka yeah. would end up there. So it is a challenge because you're asking him now to, to manage Chukwesi, for example. But... Hey, look, I don't worry about European games so much on starting lineups I'm, because we have got five subs so we can do what we like. Mm. But I'm also conscious that Arteta is not really your 55-minute sub-maker. <laughs> right? Not really. <laughs> this, this is, 
I, mean, I do, I do like him, but I don't think he's great. You can't be bringing on people in seventy-seven minutes, mate. That's that's not right. You know, Which so. is weird because one of the things that was said about him before he came in was that he reads the game well, and he was like Pep's kind of decision maker in regards that he would see things about a change, bring a sub on. And yeah, he just hasn't translated that over yet. Just freezes, just freezes. I think. Remember the five subs game and the and the drinks bake Arteta. I thought he was yeah. absolutely brilliant. 20 minutes in, we're getting rinsed, come back out, game's changed. He spotted it immediately. Yeah. That, was, that almost brings him back to being an, an assistant almost. Do you see what I mean? Mm. Where he can spot something immediately and then someone else transmits it and, and it gets changed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So he was allowed to do that with the drinks bake Arsenal. And I thought we were the best at that. We were just like superb at analysing the game quickly and making changes and making substitutions with five subs. So when he goes to Europe... Where's he gone? Mm. I don't know. I don't know what happens. It's so <laughs> weird. Hopefully it is a, an experienced thing and he gradually can can kind of yeah. combine them and find that balance. I'm going to press you for a scoreline, though, for the first leg. What are you oh, going crikey. for? Um, <laughs> I think we'll, because we're Arsenal, so we make it hard. We'll probably do 1-1 one, one, just okay. to traumatise everybody. Then we'll concede in the home game real quick. And then, what are you doing? <laughs> well, you know oh. it's going to happen, right? Yeah, so I know. But... <laughs> I'm convinced myself game. that it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. Yeah. We can see the home game real quick, and it'll be desperation tactics after that because everybody will be looking there, thinking this is the referendum on Arteta with the old manager just going to kick us away from a hundred million quid, right? So, yeah, it's not good, is it? It's not Fair good. enough. Um, thank you, Janice, for the, the super chat. Uh, I just missed this one. I think Emery being appointed showed a lack of ambition from the owners. I never rated him. Um, we'll see if he comes but to bite you back in the, on Thursday. Uh, it's going to be a really weird game. I see a lot of you putting your predictions in. Make sure you tune in for our preview show tomorrow, and we're going to go through all of your predictions for the game as well. Thank you, Clive, um, for joining me this evening. Really appreciate your time. I'm sure the listeners have as well. There have been lots of really kind comments, of course, as always. So uh, I look forward to having and you back soon. Yes, maybe. Get <laughs> anytime, mate. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> Tell people where you can find yourself and uh, what you're going to be up to. Oh, I, I do one. I do a couple of things, and I? I only go Arsenal Vision is what I do. And um, everyone knows where to listen to me if they would, if they want to. So, um, yeah, that's all I do, mate. Keep myself quiet. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Literally, half the time, to be fair. Um, <laughs> If, of course, you have enjoyed the show, people, please drop a like on the video and subscribe. If you kind of like the idea of talking about the future, I'm going to be joining the hybrid squad a little bit later on this evening with Harry Simeon and Dan and the good old Kevin Campbell as well at nine o'clock over on their channel. So make sure you tune in for that. And the last thing before we wrap up, uh, one of our members, Zamir, messaged me in the week and he wanted me to raise awareness uh, for the situation in India that's going on at the moment. Mm. Of course, we in the UK... Um, are quite blinded and blinkered right now because our situation is, is is improving a lot every day and we're very kind of focused on getting to the pub, which is grey, and all of this, which is wonderful for us. But there are people around the world that are really suffering right now. So if there's any way you can spare any money to go and donate to the relevant causes, please do. Please go out there and learn a little bit about what's going on outside of just the UK. And if you are abroad, of course, you'll probably know a lot more than we do right now. But I wanted to do that for Zamir. So fair play to him for raising that. Well said. Well said. We will be back again very, very soon tomorrow for the preview show for the most nightmarish Thursday of our lives. Um, but other than that, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you as always. And as always, up the Arsenal. Mm. 
It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates are around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.